and welcome to this week's edition of An Organic Conversation, a show about food, ecology, stories from the land, recipes, nature, sustainability, interconnectedness, relationships, and life itself. It's winter, it's dark, it's the holiday season. And in addition to wonderful food, really completing any festive meal, it's time for candles. Who does not like candles? It's one of those things that we all hold dear. The light, the warmth, the transformational glow and energy that a candle provides. Mankind has used candles for thousands of years to illuminate the darkness. So today, we won't leave you in the dark, but rather, we're guiding you through the steps of candle making wick to wax, the art of making natural candles, our topic in this hour. We're your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sitarani Palmar. This is a very celebratory conversation. I think candles are equal to celebration. We see them during during birthdays and we see them during the holidays. So very apropos. Mm -hmm. Actually, one of my favorite lights. But before we get into the show, as we always do, we do a week's review. And this week, uh, it's Helga who come up with a great story that he wants to share with us. Helga, what'd you find? Yeah, it's kind of interesting. This story dates back to May when it occurred. And then in September, when it went to the courts in a very surprising move, the district attorney, Samuel Sutter, district attorney of Massachusetts, dropped all criminal charges against two climate activists who used a lobster boat back in May to block a freighter carrying 40,000 tons of coal from reaching the Brayton Point coal power plant. It's the first time that I know that a judge in his argument accepted that climate change is one of the gravest crises our planet has ever faced. And so he accepted that as the motivation for necessary civil obedience. That has, of course, gotten fairly little press mm. in <laughs> normal public media. But I wanted to pick that up again because it's a couple months back. September 8th, actually, in fact, three months back, uh, was the decision made to drop all criminal charges. And then afterwards, the judge actually joined the climate change movement. I was very touched by that. And it's interesting that throughout history, really judges have as much really as any movement changed society. If you look back to the women voting rights, gay rights, now environmental rights, it's the first time that I hear that a criminal charge of, of stopping a large container ship, or in this case, coal freighter from getting into the harbor or, or unloading their coal is actually okayed under the law. That's an amazing move. You know, it brings up for me kind of the moral right and wrong and how that line gets played out in government. Because there are certain things, I think, in our government that are extremely black and white. But then there is this gray zone and the judges find themselves very often in that place where they're evaluating the moral right and wrong. And so I think that I, I, I just appreciate that in this instance, the judge really stood up for what he believed in, even if it wasn't necessarily the popular thing to do. I believe that's how history is made. And Helga, you gave us some really good examples of that. And for me, it, it makes me think about, you know, could he could he have lost his position as a judge for whatever he decided to do that may not have had precedent? I'm not really sure. I haven't gotten that deep into it, but it makes me ask myself, what am I willing to put on the line for what I believe in? Yeah, and the district attorney, again, Samuel Sutter, district attorney from Massachusetts, said absolutely they considered the cost to the taxpayers in Somerset, Massachusetts, uh, but he, he said in the concern for their children, the children of Bristol County and beyond in mind, climate change, again, is one of the gravest crises our planet has ever faced. So that was his argument. He, he really looked at the big picture and it reminded me of, of those small, in, in a way, and yet gigantic moves of the law. And there's the movie Bell Out, which describes the story of 1779, where slaves in a, in a court decision were no longer considered cargo that you could just throw overboard and then insure as an item. And that established the rights or, or the legal acknowledgement of slaves back then. And that was the start of the change of slavery, really. So I one would hope that the environment with this one decision actually 
has now a voice that it's okay to step up for the environment, of course, by people, because the environment itself cannot walk into a, cl- a courtroom, but that on behalf of nature, we actually have the right to, to defend what we believe is, is, is right and affects our children. And Mark, you have a big background in civil disobedience and <laughs> demonstrations and the environmental movement. Well, you know, it, listening to what both of you are saying is it's interesting to me because all the many things that we take for granted now, uh, the fact that you can walk into most establishments and there's no smoking allowed, mm. right? And that you don't have to breathe that in. That happened because someone was willing to take a stand and try to make something different. Different things in the environmental movement, the Wilderness Act, which just celebrated 50 years, the fact that we have wilderness that we can go be in, happened because someone was willing to call in the darkness when other people weren't even thinking about it and willing to stand up for it. I was involved in the Save the Whale campaigns and the nuclear freeze campaigns and was willing to go stand in front of uh, consulates and get arrested at nuclear power plants and things like that. And it was really scary. I tell you, my heart was telling me to go there, but I, if, if you've ever thought, well, I can't do that or I'm too scared to do that, that's a true feeling. And it really is scary to think, well, I might get arrested or I might you know, get hurt or something like that doing this. And yet taking that risk, I was still scared standing out there, but yet needed to do it. You said, what are you willing to stand up for? You asked yourself that question, and that's the same question that always occurred to me. What are you willing to risk? to stand up for. And the interesting thing is, occasionally I would mention this to somebody at a gathering or a dinner party or something. And because I was willing to do it, that allowed somebody else to either consider or to actually take action Mm -hmm. themselves. And that's what I kind of saw this judge doing. The case came before him or the prosecutor, you know, the, the case came before them. They decided to not press charges. And so that right there is allowing others to have the courage to stand up for what they think is important for society. Yeah, impressive story. Look it up. Uh, D.A. Samuel Sutter, District Attorney of Massachusetts, in this case of the climate boat and the Brayton Point power plant. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helge Helber. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour, wick to wax, the art of making natural candles. That and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Fry Vineyards is America's first organic winery, family owned and operated since 1980. Dedicated to the highest levels of organic and biodynamic farming, Fry never adds synthetic sulfites or other preservatives to their wines. Fry organic and biodynamic wines include delicious Cabernet Sauvignon, Zinfandel, Syrah, Chardonnay, and Sauvignon Blanc. Fry Vineyards, Mendocino County award-winning wines without added sulfites. Available at grocery stores and online at frywine.com. That's F-R-E-Y-W-I-N-E.com. Are you a chef, have a catering business, or planning a party, or simply just love organic produce? If you're in the San Francisco Bay Area, walk right in to Earl's Organic Produce. Anyone can buy directly from us at wholesale prices. You don't have to be a natural food store to enjoy the freshest and most delicious organic produce. We are located on the San Francisco Produce Market at 2101 Gerald Avenue. We look forward to seeing you. Walk-in hours are Monday through Friday throughout the night from 10 p.m. to 10 a.m. Minimum purchase is one box or flat, cash or checks only. For more information, visit earlsorganic.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Wick to Wax, the art of making natural candles. Our topic in this hour will guide you through all the steps you need to know to make a decision to either make your own candles or still go to a store and buy them after this episode. We won't leave you in the dark. But as always, from the world of health and beauty, here is our very own Chef Sita, Sita Rani Palomar, first, and her holistic bite. Well, this time of year tends to be a time when we do a lot of cooking and entertaining. And in the midst of all of these things we do, which include a much longer list than the one I just listed, time is really precious. And time is precious in your kitchen as well as space. So today I wanted to talk about how to spend less time prepping and baking for these fantastic holiday meals with a couple of my favorite tips. And the first one is to make use of pre-made 
spice blends. We uh, teamed up with Spicely Organics last month for a campaign to help people get ready for the holidays with spice blends. And blends are really expert combinations that will help you maximize your culinary creative potential by bringing in a really well-balanced palette of flavors and also save you some time from having to put them together yourself. So if you're one of those people who is making most, if not all, of the food for your holiday feast, consider making it easier by incorporating some spice blends. And another tip that I like that really hits this place of of helping you make the most of your time is to prepare what you can days in advance. And I want to give you an example. So let's say that your family loves apple pie. Now, there are a couple ways that you could put this together, but you might consider instead of putting the raw apples into the dough and then baking that in the oven, what if you made an apple galette that would allow you to saute the apples a night in advance and store them in the refrigerator? You can even make your dough the night in advance and store in the refrigerator so that on the day when there's a lot of prep happening already, you can roll out the dough, put it in the tin, and all you're doing is just getting the crust done because the apples are already cooked all the way through. So it's a really good way to save yourself some time. You can also, for example, saute your onions and your celery and your fennel, whatever ingredients normally go into a stuffing or something that you use throughout multiple dishes like onions and garlic and celery. You can saute those vegetables in advance and store them until it's time to reheat them with whatever they're going to be served with. I'll frequently saute my vegetables for my stuffing and then toss them with my crew croutons and my breadcrumbs and my spice blend um, the day before and store it in the refrigerator. And then that way, the next day when I need to bake it off, all I do is pour the stock over top and put it in the oven. So that saves me crucial time on feast day. And then the last tip I want to give to you is balancing the stovetop and the oven usage or finding alternatives to putting things in the stovetop. I mean, I think oven space in particular is one thing that we run scarce on this time of year. And you You will eliminate some of the stovetop crowding by the tips that I gave you about cooking things the night before. But the oven, for example, let's say you're you're cooking off your your stuffing and your pie and your vegetable sides and your entree and all of these things are going into the oven. Well, consider doing some things that don't need to go in the oven. So we have a recipe on our website and organicconversation.com for a pumpkin pie that doesn't need to finish in the oven. Instead of finishing off with eggs to set up, which would require you to bake it in the oven, we use coconut oil so that it can set up and finish in the refrigerator. So look at what your family favorites are and see how you can make some creative adjustments that will save you time and space on these very important days so you can get to the more important part of spending time with the people that you love. All right, that's that for this week. I love it. Um, <laughs> I love doing prep before on before big holidays. It's my favorite way to do things. I don't always do that, of course, um, like many of us. But those little tips, it makes such a big difference on how you feel the morning you wake up because of that stuff. You don't wake up as anxious about having to prepare something or get, being in a rush or being in a hurry or that type of thing. It does actually changes the whole mood of the holiday for me. That Those are very excellent tips. Yeah, it's so defining. In fact, when you do it, you can actually focus on the celebration of the holiday. I, I would say that if you have a full day of cooking, there will be a moment, even if you enjoy it, generally speaking, where you stress out, where something didn't come out right or, you know, you forgot something and somebody has to run to the store. I mean, If that's all part of the celebration, then so be it. But you will have a much more focused, relaxed, and enjoyable holiday if half of the stuff is already done. You two bring up a really important point, which is how much time and energy you can save yourself mentally by not waking up with a certain anxiety about how much there is to get done because you already feel like, oh, the onions are already sauteed and the pie is setting up and I've got my, you know, I've got my um, stuffing put together. There are just a lot of ways to make it easier on yourself and I encourage you to find out which ones work for you. Yeah, and sometimes we hide behind those roles. Not that my mom ever did that, but for her to be in the kitchen all day for specific holidays, I didn't get to see her as a child. Mm. I didn't get to play with her. Mm. You know, that was my experience of holidays was her cooking all day. And as fun as that is when you get to lick the spoons and whatever she creates there, but 
it's nice to have real time and play a game or go for a walk with your parents. Or So it's not just for us, but really for everyone who's coming. That's true. And if you're planning on making your own candles, thank you, Sita, for that holistic bite, beautiful as always. If you are planning on making your own candles this holiday season, this is a great time to start and get that out of the way. <laughs> <laughs> You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbig. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Our topic in this hour is Wick to Wax, the art of making natural candles. And with us today is Laurie Nova Andres, the founder, co-owner, and teacher at and off the Nova studio, who's joining us today from Point Richmond, California. Really the candle whisperer, as far as we're concerned, making candles, soaps, and other beautiful things for over a decade. Lori, are you with us? Yes, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> Great, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure and how appropriate in this December time to, to speak about candle making and what people can do at home, or maybe instill a certain respect for sometimes pricey candles that we see in stores if we if you can walk us and guide us through the consideration and the steps of what it takes to make beautiful candles absolutely i'd love to so laurie um eleanor roosevelt said it is better to light a candle than curse the darkness and i love that quote and you help people to make candles, which obviously can light that darkness. Can you give us a little insight like on how long people have been adding wick to wax to coin the title of the show? There's a lot of history of candle making because it's been they've been around for so long. The earliest known candles were made out of whale fat in China, and that was around 200 BC. And candles are primarily made from beef tallow and beeswax until about 1850. And then they started making them with some other materials like spermaceti from the sperm whale, uh, different purified animal fats, and then, of course, paraffin wax. Looking at the various things that have been used to make candles over the year, there is a lot of, I think, confusion among consumers about, well, what's paraffin and is this bad for my household? And what about soy wax, which is supposed to be a better alternative? And now there's beeswax, which is a lot pricier, but it isn't an animal fat. And there are so many considerations when you look at what materials go into making candles. So can you let us know from your perspective what ingredients you feel make the most environmentally friendly candles and why that is? Yeah, absolutely. With paraffin, um, there is a, a bit of disagreement about it, but people have found that paraffin candles can emit toxic chemicals. Two of them are toluene and benzene. I'm not a scientist myself, I haven't done the, the test, but to me it sounds credible that paraffin candles might do that because it is a petroleum-based material. I've, I've heard enough to know that I'd prefer to eliminate paraffin candles from my home and also from the materials that I work with. That's very easy to do because there are so many other better materials, in my opinion, to make candles out of. Just to name a handful, soy wax is a very popular choice. There's a, a natural wax made out of palm called palm wax. There's, of course, beeswax, and there's even something called bayberry wax from a plant. So there are lots of different choices of natural waxes, and personally, I prefer to use the natural choices that are out there. It just makes more sense to me, and they're, I think they're superior waxes, and so it's, it's kind of a no-brainer. You know, it's exciting to at least to hear about these alternatives that don't emit chemicals into your home. But I know that soy, for example, is a highly genetically modified crop. So that's one thing that people might think of as a trigger word if they see soy wax. Like, how can I guarantee if the soy I'm getting isn't contributing to more genetic modification across the country? And palm oil, we know, at least kind of more commonly, is contributing to some forest degradation over overseas where the palm is being harvested. So these are two ingredients that you would probably want to, if you can, find out what source the the soy and the palm is coming from. Is that kind of information readily available? Uh, that's a very good question, and you're, you're right on both of those points. Unfortunately, I don't believe that that information is readily available. Both palm and soy waxes are more new to the, to the candle-making industry for the home crafter. So what I would say with pretty much with anything um, like that 
if someone has concern about it and they want to find out more, then I would just ask the source. So find out from the person that you're buying it from because there are a lot of different places to buy these waxes. And there probably are only a handful of manufacturers of these waxes. So I imagine that that question wouldn't be too difficult to get answered. I know that choosing an organic variety in a lot of cases can be the way to go. Lori, you've been doing this for a long time, and I, I've heard when we, we talk about materials, beeswax candles have the ability to actually purify the air. They burn toxic compounds in the air that may not be good for us and actually leave the air cleaner than before. Is that something that you can confirm? Is that actually true? Again, I'm not a scientist, and I haven't done the actual science experiment, but from my research and from, my, from what I know, I do believe that to be true, and what it does is it produces negative ions. When you burn a beeswax candle, it produces negative ions that are released into the air that pull the positive ions, which are the, the smog and the pollution and the bad things that are in the air, and it sort of grabs onto them and then, and then pulls them down out of our air. So mm -hmm. in that way, it does purify the air. Yeah, I really love burning beeswax candles, and I, I think that... You know, if it weren't for the fact that the wax is probably, I would say, the most expensive out of the three that we're talking about, the soy wax, the palm wax, and the beeswax, beeswax is definitely the most expensive, you know, which is, that's reflected when you go shopping and you see the prices. But if you can afford it, I think, I think it's worth it. Beautiful. We're speaking with Lori Nova Endres, the founder, co-owner, and a teacher at the Nova Studio, who's joining us from Point Richmond, California. It's thenovastudio.com for more information, offering lots of classes, not just on candle making, and we'll talk about that more later. But I would love for you to walk us through the steps of making a good solid candle if somebody has never done that at home right after the break. We are taking a quick break and we'll be back with more. You're listening to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Hilbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Stay tuned for more. Are you interested in making healthy food your profession? Bowman College is a leader in the field of holistic nutrition and culinary arts. Their professional training programs prepare individuals for successful careers as nutrition consultants and natural chefs. Study at one of four locations in California and Colorado or learn from home in a self-paced mentor distance learning program. Find out more about their classes on holistic nutrition and culinary arts at bowmancollege.org. That's B-A-U-M-A-N college.org. Spicely Organics offers more than 200 different organic spices and dried herbs to choose from. Classics like oregano and cumin, exotics like aji amarillo, and blends like tikka masala. Spicely helps nourish your body while embracing sustainable, eco-friendly, and ethical practices always. Take wellness into your own hands and creativity into your own kitchen. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Wick to Wax, the art of making natural candles, our topic in this hour. And we are joined by teacher, founder, and co-owner of the Nova Studio, Lori Nova Andres, who started her candle and more making business, including soaps and other delightful things, over 10 years ago. He's, she's joining us today out of Richmond, Point Richmond, California. I'm so excited we're getting into the juicy bit now, which is how to make candles. And I've been such a, I've been on such a DIY kick lately, like creating everything for my home. And this is one thing that I never even thought I could make. And I'm, I'm really excited to hear from the source. Well, maybe you can't. Maybe. We, we oh. will find out. <laughs> Lori, what are the basic steps? I remember way back when in school, we used the inside of a toilet paper roll, the, the carton, and somehow there was a correlation between the thickness of the candle and the, the wick that you had to use. Otherwise, too big would not work and too small would not work. And then some kind of wax that we used, I'm sure it was paraffin back then in school, 
but we made you know our own Christmas gifts for our parents when I was seven years old. Can you update my memory? Walk <laughs> us through the steps. What makes a really good natural candle? Yeah, and that's that's a great story. Whoever was teaching you how to make candles, that was really <laughs> inventive to use a toilet paper roll holder because that's actually that's a perfect size for a, a nice thick paper style candle. And um, in class, I usually ask at the very beginning how many people have ever made a candle before. And a few hands might go up, but then when I say, okay, how many, at some point in your life, you went to a camp or, you know, you were doing crafts at a fair or there was some type of candle that you may have maybe made at the uh, sand candle or a dipped candle, and, and almost everybody's hand will go up when I say to kind of think back. And that's true. A lot of people will run across some sort of a candle-making craft at some point during their life, but they didn't really have very much information on it. That brings up a very good point that candles are very easy to make. Children can make them, and you can make them even if you don't really know what you're doing. However, in order to make a really good candle, a candle that burns well, candle that looks good, and the candle that smells good, those three things being your goal, it does take a bit of knowledge and a bit of practice and expertise in order to do that. So the first thing you would do is you would decide on your wax. And with all the different choices that are out there, you do have a lot to choose from. But when you choose your wax, that is going to affect a lot of the other things that you choose. So that's really important to decide what type of wax you want to use. So in our case, we're doing beeswax. And with beeswax, there's only one type of beeswax. No matter where you get it from, it's pretty much beeswax is beeswax. Nobody has yet that I know of formulated a beeswax for different types of candles, which is what is common when you see paraffin wax or when you see soy wax or even palm. You'll see different formulations for different types of candles. And so the two main types of candles would be container candle, where you pour the wax into a container that holds it, and that's where it stays for its entire life. And then the other type would be a freestanding candle. So it could be as small as a votive, but it goes all the way up to like a, it could also be a pillar, would technically be a freestanding candle. It could go all the way up to a very large pillar candle. Or or my toilet paper inside roll (laughs) candle, right, where you would cut obviously the cardboard off so it doesn't catch fire. Um, So a taper, freestanding taper. Right. So you've made that in, I would consider the paper towel roll to be the mold for that. So yes, you've made it in a mold. So that would be a freestanding candle. If you're using a type of wax that has different types, like soy or even palm, you would want to choose the type that's for the type of candle that you want to make. Now, personally, I love container candles because I think they're easier to make and they're also easier to burn. They're safer to burn, less of a chance of, you know, a candle falling over or, you know, getting into some trouble. So uh, we're going to talk about container candles mostly today. But when you're choosing those waxes, you'll run across names like container wax or pillar blend and usually the name of the type is right in there. Sometimes they're also referred to as soft waxes and hard waxes, and you can probably guess which is for which. I would think the soft wax is probably in the container and the hard wax is for the freestanding, yes? Exactly, Uh right, And, and kind of for obvious reasons that the soft wax, if it's soft, the container will hold it, so it has no problem of not firming up hard enough. But for the pillar, you need something really hard and firm that's going to stand up when you remove it from the mold. And also with a pillar candle, the, the hard wax pulls away from the edges a little bit, and that helps you release it from the mold. And so where would beeswax fall? Perfect question as a segue. Beeswax is kind of interesting because it's, I would say it's in the middle. That's what I was it's, thinking. That's why yeah. <laughs> I was going, yeah. it's kind of soft. So it's kind of in the middle. So it works just fine for um, a container candle, though, although you will see a little bit of pulling away from the edge. So after you're done with your container candle, if you look in the jar, it won't be sealed to the edge like a, a soft soy wax would do. So if that gap bothers you, then you probably would need to mix. You could actually mix waxes. It's a little more tricky with trial and error, but you can mix some beeswax with a little bit of a, of a soft container wax of another type. 
Again, we are speaking with Laurie Nova Endres, the founder, co-owner, and teacher of the Nova Studio, who's joining us today from Point Richmond, California, the Nova Studio, all one word, dot com, the website for lots more information on candle making. The topic of this hour, wick to wax, the art of making natural candles. So we talked about the waxes. Um, Laurie, what are, what are the next steps that somebody needs to consider? So now that we know that we're making a beeswax candle in a container, what we would do is we would look at the container and consider the diameter because the diameter of the candle is going to determine the size of our wick. So when you're choosing wicks and when you're purchasing wicks, they will tell you approximately how large a diameter a candle that wick is for. So the only trick with beeswax is because it's not your typical wax used in candles. It's a harder wax, which means it burns longer, which is beautiful, but it needs a larger wick size. So there's a little bit of trial and error involved, and you would just, whatever the recommendation is for the wick size, it's usually talking about paraffin recommendations, you would just go up one or two sizes. And then when you're done making your candle, you have to burn it and you have to see how it works. If you have chosen too large of a wick, then your candle will turn to liquid within 45 minutes. The whole thing will be liquid. That's probably too big of a wick, or if your flame is too big. Is there a rule of thumb, Lori, that you have? For example, staying with my toilet paper cardboard inside, which is about an inch and a half, two inches maybe, what would be a number wick that you would use for that? You know, unfortunately, there are so many different types of wicks available. It's hard to give an easy answer to that. Perfect. Because all the different types have different names and different numbers. Great to know. So once you choose a wick for your beeswax candle, depending on the size, if it's paraffin recommendation, go a couple sizes up. How do you get the wick into the wax? So the easiest way for a (laughs) container candle is that the type of wick you're going to buy is going to be a wick that stands up. It'll have a little metal tab on the bottom of it, and it'll be cored and primed, which means it's a firm wick that's standing up. And you just take some sort of a a sticky or a glue dot or some sort of a, they call them candle stickers, and you just stick it right down to the bottom of your container. And then it's right in place. You don't have to worry about it tipping over, and you're ready ready to pour once your wax is ready. How do you pour hot wax? How do you melt? Do you buy you buy a block of beeswax, I would assume, or whatever shape it yeah. comes in? Yeah, there's you... different types of beeswax that you can buy, either in pellets or in blocks. You definitely want to use a double boiler. You always want to mm. melt wax in a double boiler because it can catch fire over direct heat. You get a double boiler or you create one just by putting one pot inside of another pot and you put water in between the two. And then you put your beeswax in the top pot and you melt it. And there's what's called a recommended pouring temperature. It's different for each wax, but for beeswax, it's about 185 degrees Fahrenheit. So you want to make sure you have a thermometer. You stick your thermometer in there and you melt it and you heat it until 185 degrees. If you're not scenting or coloring it, you don't really need to stir it. Once it's melted, it's melted. Uh, If you did want to add color and scent, once you reach the pouring temperature, that's the time to add it. I prefer to use essential oils because they're natural plant essences uh, as opposed to fragrance oils, which are synthetic. And you would want to use about 2 to 5% scent in your, in your candle. Now, and what does that mean, 2 to 5% by volume? Yes, by volume um, of the candle weight. So if, if you don't have a scale, an easy way to do it is to do about a half teaspoon for one pound of wax. Oh, that's easy. So if you buy a pound of wax, it's about a half teaspoon. If you want to go up to one teaspoon, that would probably be okay. And uh, that's a good place to start. If you put too much scent in your candle, it can cause it to burn less cleanly. It'll sputter potentially, and it could Mm. produce impurities that'll get released into the air. Oh, okay. Oh, that, well, this is a really easy tip, and I'm, I'm a big fan of essential oils. I have a whole collection that I use for cleaning products and homemade perfumes and hair products and all kinds of things that I make at home. So a half a teaspoon per one pound of wax, up to one teaspoon per one pound of wax, and you add that once the wax hits the pouring temperature. Right. You, okay. you take it off the heat just to be safe, and then you add your essential oil. 
and you just give it a gentle stir, and then you're ready to pour it. Now, what if you, you wanted just... to add color, though? I, that was really interesting to me, and I saw a really beautiful, deep burgundy beeswax candle, which I don't know if they used a, a coloring or if they used, like, beet juice, for example. But what would you use to, to create colors in your candle? So you really want to stick with colorants that are created for candles. And the reason is that they're meant to go, they're oil-based, they're meant to go in uh, a candle, and they're meant to be burned. You want to stay away from creative ideas like crayons or oil paints or lipstick, you know. I'm all for ingenuity, but these items won't color your candles effectively and they'll interfere with the candle's ability to burn properly. That makes a great point, too, though, because if you're burning something organic, let's say if you put in a beet juice, one, it might spoil, and two, you're actually burning an organic item above its smoke point. It could also be releasing impurities into the air. Exactly, and beet juice is going to be water-based, so it's not going to mix in with the candle at all. Uh So you want to look for candle dyes that are created for candle making. They have some that are more eco-friendly that you you can search on the Internet and find them, but they come in either a solid form, a powdered form or a liquid form. And personally, I prefer the liquids because they're just super easy to drop in one or two drops and then stir it, and, and, and they're the most easy to work with. The powders can be messy, and the dye blocks, uh, you have to melt in with it. I love that. I love that. Stay away from creativity. That's just so <laughs> great. That's such a great it's statement. In this one particular area. Yeah, of course. I know. Um, um, this is so exciting for me because, you know, I love I love those beautiful glass prayer candles. And, um, I, you know, I used to buy some that were paraffin wax, and I would get a case at a time before I learned about the, the hazards of paraffin. And now when I go to buy the beeswax ones, they're like $40 a pop. And so to buy that every time, and especially if I want like 12 around the house, seems really expensive. But if I can refill the container with my own it makes it really economical my question for you though is do you have any really easy tips for how to get that last bit of wax out of a glass container absolutely i was just thinking this as you were talking okay so one is if it's a a real heavy amount if there's a quite a bit in there you can take that glass container and put it in the freezer for about 15 minutes take it out and see if it'll pop out because wax as it Cools, contracts. Shrinks. Oh, great. Yeah. So that's one way you can do it. The other way, though, when you just get bits in there that just aren't coming out or, you know, you don't want to harm your container, my way to do it is to, to go to the double boiler again. Uh-huh. So get a shallow pot, put it on the stove, um, and put just a couple inches of water in it, and then bring it to a low boil or just pretty right before that. And you put your container in there, and very carefully, uh, you, you let it, melt the wax and then very carefully with a pot holder you take it out and then you dump that wax into you can actually reuse that wax believe it or not so you could um pour it into a candle pouring pot or your double boiler that you're going to be um you're going to be melting your wax in that is such a great idea we had a show where we recommended using or we're saying this several times actually throughout the year where it's a stoop container where you use um, leftovers and you keep freezing them or your cuttings of yeah. vegetables and after you know a week or two or a month you have you can ma- you have the ingredients for amazing stock exactly. or a mineral yeah. broth this is the same it's, principle you just you know whatever is left of your candle don't throw it away you can reuse that several times over it sounds like is that correct exactly because a lot of times there's quite a bit of wax left at the bottom and by the way when that happens that's a candle that didn't exactly burn properly. Maybe the wick was too small. Oh, interesting. Didn't oh. So, use all the fuel, all the wax in yes. the jar. So even though you may have purchased that candle uh-huh. and paid money for it, it may still not have been the, the best wick for that candle, and thus had that burning property. Oh, there are, I could I could go through the same <laughs> candles that are on the market that aren't made properly. So we need to make our own. It really is tricky. And the last tip about getting all the wax out of your container after you pour the hot wax out. Take a paper towel and wipe it out while it's still warm. Mm. And that way you'll get it perfectly clean. Oh, so I feel so equipped. I don't actually think I've ever taken more notes on any other episode. I have pages (laughs) of directions and, of course, can go back and listen to it again for your tips. But you make this sound so easy. And that's exciting for me because I really love to be empowered to make my own things because they make beautiful gifts for people. And it really allows you to infuse your own personal character into your home when you make your own candles. Incredible. So fun. And it seems easy but really valuable tips that I didn't 
think were out there or existed uh, really helpful. And this is just the tip of the iceberg. In our handle <laughs> class, we give people probably about 12 pages of notes. Oh, oh goodness. And, um, there's so much information to learn. And can I mention the date of our next candle class? Well, actually, we know Mark has signed up for an upcoming candle class, and we will make sure to put your website on so that people can take a look for a time oh, that great. works within within their time frame, especially during the holidays. So this is so exciting. And we know that you also help teach people how to make their own mineral makeups and natural perfumes and all kinds of bath and body products. We can't wait to visit the Nova Studio. And we so appreciate your time today teaching us how to make candles. Thank and you, Lori. that is the Nova Studio. Studio.com, all one word, the Nova and OVA Studio.com. And that's the, the founder, co owner, and teacher as well at the Nova Studio in Point Richmond, California, who joined us today in this hour of Wick to Wax, Lori Nova Endress. Thank you so much, Lori. Wonderful to have you. Real pleasure. Thank you. This has been so much fun. Oh, fun <laughs> for us. We hope to talk to you about how to make other things sometime in the future. Thank you. Absolutely. Happy, happy holidays, happy holidays to you. Thank you. You too. <laughs> Bye, Lori. Beautiful. Wow. I am so inspired. Packed. I yes. can't wait to go home it and do that. It seems really simple now. It, it doesn't seem like a complicated process once you know the individual steps. And Lori had such a great way of walking us through that. And yeah, the leftover. I mean, really, oh, if you yeah. have five, six, eight candles. Just sitting in a left, cabinet. The leftover <laughs> happens all the time. The leftover itself is a new candle. Totally. So no more throwing away that beautiful, important, wonderful beeswax that some little creatures worked so hard for. Yeah, and you know we we know about wood stock. We now have vegetable stock, and now we've got candle stock that Heck we can. Yeah, uh, that's right. This is an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helberg. I'm Mark Mulcahy, and I'm Sitarani Palomar. And that was an hour on Wick to Wax, the art of making natural candles. Again, with Lori Nova Endress the founder and co-owner of TheNovaStudio.com, Point Richmond, California. If you're in Northern California, check out their classes for more information, also their website, and also always AnOrganicConversation.com and Facebook.com forward slash AnOrganicConversation for tips and tricks on do-it-yourself, DIY. There you go. <laughs> on the DIY lifestyle. Coming up, as part of the DIY lifestyle is What's in Season, a walk off the produce dock, as always, every week, giving you the best ideas of what to buy and how to store it, how to pick it, how to choose it, what to do with it, that and more when we come back right after the break. Stay tuned. Produce is ever-changing, seasons coming and going. At Earl's Organic, we have been sourcing solely organic produce for over 20 years. Since 1988, Earl's Organic Produce has been establishing strong relationships with growers and developing a deep understanding of the seasons, so you can offer the most delicious organic produce to your customers, staff, and clients year-round. For organic produce, visit Earl's Organic Produce at earlsorganic.com. That's earlsorganic.com. Spicely Organics' emphasis has long been on the natural health benefits of organic spices. And now, Spicely is excited to share more health benefits with the introduction of their hand-blended organic teas. Choose from black, green, white, mate, oolong, pu'er, and herbals blended with their signature spices like vanilla rooibos, sweet turmeric, and honey lavender. Spicely Organics, teas, spices, and dried herbs at your natural food store and online at spicely.com. And we are back here to an organic conversation. I'm Helga Helbert. I'm Mark Mulcahy. And I'm Sitarani Palomar. Wick to Wax, the art of making natural candles, was our topic in this hour. And now it's persimmon to kabocha squash. No, I don't actually know, <laughs> but we will find out. It is December. And this is, of course, the weekly walk of the produce dock. Here is what's in season. <laughs> So it's uh, time for what's in season. The other day I was walking through the produce aisle and noticing all the apples, uh, whether I've been in Pittsburgh or Seattle or different parts around the country, there's so many different apples out there. And I usually try nearly every one. The interesting thing is, is I was thinking that during this time of when people are doing more baking, they're inside more, or they're making different things around their house, it's kind of like, how do you know which apple is the best for what? 
I mean, you could kind of make it up or you could go online and, you know, and look at it. But I thought, wouldn't it be fun to have get Earl on the line and the voice of the San Francisco produce market from Earl's Organic Produce in San Francisco to kind of give us a little insight on apples this time of year and what to do with them when you're at home and want to make some recipes. Earl, are you there? I'm here, Mark. Hello to you. Welcome. Hello, Helga Sita. Hi, Hi Earl. Earl. Happy holidays. Yes. Yeah, well... December is, you know, some people that I've talked to, um, you know, suppliers and growers say December is is the apple month. You know, uh, November is so much about uh, the holidays of Thanksgiving, and by December, all the apples have been off the tree, uh, they've been in the storage, and they're really out on the market in full force. And this is really the time to really be enjoying them. And it's a good year. uh, The crop has got good volume, meaning there's good supply which also sometimes indicates you're going to have smaller sizing, which I think for the end user can be very beneficial. The, the prices are generally cheaper for smaller apples. Uh, some, some people refer to them as, uh, as, as uh, school-sized apples because they're small enough that you're going to take it, the kids are going to take it to school and not throw away half of it. So the, the season is shaped up to be really good in a lot of different fronts, reasonably priced with good volume. So here we are. You're walking through the stand, and, and which ones you, which which apples you go for? Well, it really depends upon what you want to do with them, right? If sure, you want to sure. be doing pies or baking them in general, you want to be drying them, or Lord knows, you want to make cider. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So there's really, really a lot of a lot of different factors involved. And I must say, Earl, before you start explaining what is good for what, just the idea of Picking them based on usage is such an interesting question that you would actually perhaps pick a different apple to make a pie versus one you put next to your cheese plate versus one you make cider with. So Yeah, yeah you know, you're right. It is an incredibly different perspective from which to come. I mean, yeah, I have I love a it. certain use for it. So it's just not about how it looks or if it's pretty or the size. For example, for pies, which, you know, I'm a big pie lover. One of, the, one of the things that I've found over the years is if you do enough of it, you find your own apples and what you like to do because there's so many different uh, characteristics. But there's, a, there's three points I think you want to follow in general. One is you want to have an apple that has a, a degree of tartness, which will actually stand up to the heat of baking. You want to have uh, an apple that when you slice it and you cook it, it's going to keep its shape. You don't want to have an apple pie that just boils down to sauce. So there's, there's a characteristic there. Then you want to have one you know, that has a lot of flavor in, in, in aromatically. So if you start with that, then it kind of narrows it down a little bit. Some of the pie apples that I love are, are that we can relate to out here in the West Coast is a Jonathan and a Jonna Gold. Those are two kind of very sweet apples. And then there's a Pippin and the Granny Smith, which is a little more tart. And then there's one that maybe you don't see a lot of. It's called a Rhode Island Greening, which I know that's uh, grown up in Sebastopol, north of San Francisco. So what's really great, too, is that you can combine these. You don't have to make just a straight you know, Golden Delicious or whatever. You can use different apples because together they're going to combine and create a very unique experience for you. <laughs> so, and, and also, Earl, you know, some of those, I mean, I've heard you were saying a, a firmer apple, but I've actually heard when I've talked to some chefs or pie makers, I should say, that they actually like Gold Delicious, which I wouldn't think would make a great pie, but they like it for its flavor, and but they just use it a little bit greener or a little, they don't let it get as ripe when it gets that softness, so they get it when it's yeah. right at its firmness. And Jonathan... Too, and you know, the John of Gold, of course, is a derivative of the Gold Delicious. Right, right, and but, the know, Jonathan. That's where the mixing, a couple different varieties, like a greener apple, like a granny, with a John of Gold or a Gold Delicious is going to give you that depth of flavor. Mm-hmm. Another thing to consider is using a maybe a lighter touch on the sugar when you when you're making something like a pie because sugar is going to mask the characteristics of the flavor of those apples. So if you can get away with it, maybe uh, get a Fuji, put a couple slices in that pie that'll give that augment on that sweet side. Well, and you can always sweeten it up with a sweetened whipped cream or a sure. a la mode ice cream, Absolutely. and then let the flavors of the apple really come through the apple pie. Absolutely. What about some of the other uses, Earl? Like if you were you mentioned cider, people yeah. sometimes bake apples well, at home. Well, I was going to just quickly mention a couple that found to be working in the sauce when you want them to break down a little bit more, and that would be like a Braeburn, a Gala. A golden because it's soft, even a pink pearl. Those kind of cook down pretty well. And again, 
all these different characteristics of a sauce. Some people like it really thin. Some like it with with chunks in it. Mm-hmm. So again, you can p- kind of play with it and find out your own sweet spot, if you will. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And the cider front, you know, there's huge history to cider. Uh, that was uh, years ago in the 1700s. That was really what people drank. So a couple of those apples, I'm trying to keep familiar, but the real cider apples are ones that, <laughs> that are no, not even grown anymore. A wine sap, black Arkansas a Pippin, some of the older varieties called a Roxbury Russet. There's one that, that I've been reading about. I've only seen it once or twice. I haven't been able to get my hands on it. A Macoon. Yeah, I, I just had one of those the other day. Was that on a, the East Coast, yeah. Mark? Yeah, on the East Coast, yeah. Yeah, of course, regionality plays a lot in the characteristic and the type of apples that can be grown, and also just the historical reference. The East Coast is where much of the apple industry started. You know, New York is huge on that. So they have some of the older varieties, and, mm-hmm. and also it's just that people have that uh, historic disposition to it, and they, and they want to keep on renewing that. So it's, it's, it's pretty cool to get these old varieties. And, I, and also a Cortland. Those are, uh, have been really found to make great cider. But again, a lot of people talk about mixing apples and, and kind of forming your own taste about what you have. Uh, everybody's got their different, you know, whether it's tart, whether it's sweet, and again, mixing them, you get all these different varieties. And you know, if if you are going to be making something, and you have you and you buy a big bag full, uh, even though you would normally put your apples probably on, on a fruit dish or on the counter. You want to put them in the fridge if you're not going to use them for a few days because in the fridge, they'll keep that firmness that you like. They'll hold up longer. You know, the it's significant, the difference between keeping them on your counter or in your fridge um, as far as how long they'll hold up or how, how quick they ripen. And it probably makes sense to most of our listeners, but sometimes we forget about that. And that could make the difference in a good cider, a good pie, a good baked mm-hmm. apple. You know, a great baked apple, because we didn't cover that, and I know we have to wrap this up, is a Rome Beauty. And yeah. it's kind of a, it's kind of an apple you don't see a lot anymore, but it is out there. And I occasionally see it in the store for a couple weeks a year, and it makes a fantastic baked apple if you're going to bake it. Quick question for you guys. Um, Mark, you said put it in your refrigerator. This time of year, a lot of the places around the country are really cold. Could you put your apples outside or would you worry about freezing if you're in some of those colder climates? Is there a negative Yes and yes. And it's not a consistent temperature. Uh So even here, just in the San Francisco Bay Area, it could be 60 in the day. And then it could get down to 40 or 35 at night. And so that that's going to change that apple I because because it's, it's going up. Contracting and, then it's go- and expanding. And then going down mm-hmm. and going up and going down. Mm-hmm. So having that consistent 40 degrees or mm-hmm. 36 degrees in your refrigerator is going to give you a more consistent texture. Mm, great tip. Mm-hmm. And in addition to the macoon apple, there's also the raccoon out there. And they will enjoy those apples. <laughs> so yes, I'm not they... sure if that's a good idea to put anything out right now because this is animal season. There was a couple things I wanted to mention before we close. <laughs> Out. Sure. One is if you really are, have gotten to, to enjoy the Honeycrisp apple, which has really come on strong last couple of years, yes. this is about the last time to do it. They're not a good keeper, and so right around this time of year, they start, you know, the, the volume starts to, to end, and so looking for Honeycrisp, grab them now. And a couple things, just to, some of the facts that came up, two pounds of apples are going to, is pretty much what you want for a nine-inch pie. Well, that's perfect. What a great, that's a great tip, Earl. There you go. That's Mr. Pie. um, He is Mr. Pie. California's still got some great apples out right now, and I, my preference is, you know, I think the best Fuji apple is grown in California. You don't have to uh, wait till the Northwest is in production as it is right now. So enjoy those last California Fujis with those Honeycrisp. Wow, there's a world of flavor and texture and behavior in apples out there right now, and this is the time. So thank you, Earl. Really fun. We'll play, we'll play with that this December. Yes, we we'll, will. We'll play with our apples, Earl. Thanks for the <laughs> thanks for giving us the tip. Thanks, Earl. Yeah, talk to you, talk you next you, week. Bye bye. Talk to you soon. Bye. bye. And bye. thank you, Mark. Too great storage tips. That yeah. was such a good hour. I, you know, I'm so infused with the holiday spirit right now. It's candle making and pie making. DIY <laughs> apples, DIY candles, DIY. Well, that was this week's edition of an organic conversation. Thanks Bye-bye for now. tuning in. An Organic Conversation is a proud production of the Organic Media Network. Associate producer, Kristen Ponger. If you missed parts of this show or for any other episode, go to iTunes or anorganicconversation.com. And for more information, health tips, recipes, and your daily dose of inspiration, please follow us on facebook.com forward slash 
and organic conversation. We are your hosts, Helga Helberg, Mark Mulcahy, and Sita Rani Palomar. And we'll be back right here, same place, same time, next week. See you then. Bye. Bye-bye.